Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast, we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 433 is recorded live January 9th, 2020. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Chilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan, where amazingly we don't have any snow. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? Not too bad, considering everything's been going on lately, but pretty good. Yeah, it's, uh, we, we could have some some snow or ice, I guess, this weekend, but we've been able to avoid it so far. And then also joining us this week, we have Kevin Ailes. How are you doing today, today Kevin? <laughs> I am doing most excellent, Darren. Thank you for having me on the show this evening. Yeah, you're welcome. Glad to have you back. It's been a little bit. It's It's, it's been a bit. Um, I don't know why I had to take a bit of a hiatus there, but um, I'm back and rocking and rolling. <laughs> excellent. Well, glad, glad to have you back. And the chat room is rocking and rolling as well. We have uh, Derek and Eric and Karen all joining us this evening. And if you happen to be listening to this probably much farther down the road, because I'm a few weeks behind on editing, uh, we do record live nearly every Thursday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time, which Michigan tortures us with. Uh, you can join us in the chat room on Discord. You can get to that by our website, scubaobsess.com and there should be links there. Even though it's been so long, I just got analytics today for the website and it was doing pretty good. And I, I feel bad because I haven't, I haven't done much. I'm, I've hit my busy season again. Uh, robotics has just kicked off this last weekend. So as if I wasn't busy enough. And my uh, four week house remodel project, I'm in month nine right now. Well, if it's doing good on its own, I'd say it's not broken. Let's not fix it. We're good with yeah. that. Yeah. Still, the most popular article is how to stay warm in a wetsuit. Is that peeing in a wetsuit? Well, we do talk about that, too, but not the primary method we encourage. Well, not the primary, but I guess it, well, it would be primary. Isn't that number one? It's better than number two in the wetsuit. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Uh, would, would number two warm you up? Well, um, you know, we, we, we need to get an expert on that here. Um, and we're going to have to talk into getting uh, good old Scott Saggy on the on the podcast here. Because he could tell us all about that. Oh. So, <laughs> at least, I don't know. But uh, let's see if I, I'll, I'll try to, I'll get a hold of him and uh, see if we can get him to join our podcast, okay? Yeah. <laughs> wow, chat room's gone live. Talking about. So, yeah, so... <laughs> Yeah, it must be a story I haven't heard, but uh, <laughs> so, so let's, oh. let's go. We'll we'll get we'll get Scott Saggy on here and I'm gonna say he uh he got some very special awards over at the SAS dry dive about it because he's got a reputation he has to uphold now. So yeah. uh the guy the guy could give you he, he could teach a course on it. I mean, yeah. We'll get him in here. Yeah. 
So on that, let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. First article we have this week. Uh, tragically, one of the Thai Navy SEAL divers who took part in the cave rescue has died after a year-long infection. Uh, Brett, uh, gosh, I apologize for not being able to do his name. Berikak? If somebody says it, I would probably be able to do it, but reading it, it's tough. B-U-R-E-E-R-A-K, a Thai Navy SEAL who took part in the cave rescue of 12 boys and the soccer coaches died from infections. He picked up during that dive. Uh, a petty officer had been receiving treatment and his condition worsened. The Royal Thai Navy said in a statement on Friday with an infection during the mission, search for the rescue of the board team. Uh, the Navy announced uh, on Facebook. And they did list the name of the team, but I'm not going to pronounce that either. After that, they had been treated and under supervision by a doctor closely. The symptoms, the symptom had collapsed and died. The symptom has collapsed and died from the blood infection of bloodstream. Uh, another rescue, former Navy dial diver, Navy diver, easy to say, uh, Sergeant uh, Salmon Kuman died during the rescue operation. Uh, and then they go into some background, which listeners to the program, I'm sure understand, uh, uh, what happened in that discovery, but that's, that's terrible that you do a, a good deed like that. And then you end up with infection. So it's little bugs that get you. Yeah. How, how long was he in, was he in the cave? Anyone know? Oh, the, I'm Probably trying to remember how the previous long articles on this. Yeah, it it seemed like they. I w- I would guess they probably had two weeks total, mm-hmm. but you know it took him this long to succumb to it. I mean, I'm sure he would have just struggled through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We here in the cold water, we talk about the you know all the extra equipment we bring around to stay warm, but. At least we generally don't have too much in the way of, uh, you know, waterborne illnesses to to deal with down there. So, uh, wow, but what a tragedy for him and his fam- for his family on this. This guy sounds like he was, you know, he was definitely a hero, and that's uh, sad. And then the next one we have up is a group of scuba divers fear crown of thorn starfish outbreak in, and what's that that country? Cebu, C E B U. Uh, a group of scuba divers, volunteers, and members of the Night Seward of the Sea Incorporated fear a possible crown of thorn starfish outbreak on Bogo Shoal, a marine sanctuary with an estimated area about three hectares, which is part of a 24-hectare Ligardi reef in the coastal waters of Talisi City in Cebu. I'm, I'm sure it's like Cebu or something a little bit more exotic. Um, Seek Knight 2.0 marine biologist William Viver in his Facebook post described the case of spot COT outbreak since COT collects were concentrated in the eastern side of the reef where there are already plenty of corals being eaten by starfish. Viver said that it could also be incipient outbreak, which is equivalent to the upcoming outbreak since there are 19 small juvenile crown of thorns along with fully grown COTs that were collected last Sunday, December 22nd. Active total outbreaks should be acted upon as soon as possible since these 
situations, one square meter of coral in the reef is consumed by the crown of thorns every day. Uh, according to Ed Rama, one of the volunteer divers is also a member of the Sea Knights 2.0. The group has been able to remove 65 pieces of the coral eating starfish, including 19 juveniles in a span of approximately 30 minutes in a 50 meter patch of Bogo Shoal. Valiver uh, described the possible outbreak because it should only be 30 crowns of thorn starfish for every hectare of healthy coral reefs. Uh, the coral eating starfish that are epidemic to tropical waters. Rama added they increased their population because of the presence of more nutrients, including detergents dumped in the seawaters overfishing of its natural predator, the giant triton seashells. We first noticed the outbreak of Bogo Shoal last Sunday, but in previous days we already noticed their presence. In previous dives, we turned them upside down and buried them in the sand. This suffocates them and kills them. The reef fishes will eat them after they decompose. Yeah, and they go on um, and talk about it, but uh, it, it seems surprising how quick it goes from normal to there's something there. Yeah, well, they must have some really healthy uh, reproductive abilities there. I mean, do yeah. they just do they come in with the currents and then just reproduce like mad? Or I don't know my sea star anatomy. I'm yeah. not sure how they how they reproduce if they bud off or spores like a sponge or. Yeah, well, kind of all of a sudden makes our our quagga muscles not look so bad around here after all. And then makes we have you, the, makes you wonder why there's only six people doing it. Well, and is it just that particular area? Is this a lar- blanketing a large area, and it just moved down into their section? Yeah, that that the article that you just put out there. I unless somebody else can read it, I'm I'm going to have to skip it because I can't get in it. Okay. Let's see if you can scroll down. They they the, the Apollo, the, yeah, the toxic sunscreen one. Yeah, and we'll have the links in the show notes for people who want to. Read well, it, 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 did, it did come up, but it's got a banner across it about cookies. I'll, I'll accept the cookies, and I can take it here. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but the sunscreen, no. Apollo bans toxic sunscreen on diving holiday islands. Oh, let's see. Next time you pack for the South Seas, check the label on your sunscreen bottle. The tiny Pacific island of Palau, known for its scuba diving, has banned products that harm its corals. Chemicals found in about half of sunscreen, such as oxybenzone and octinox, <laughs> octinoxate, were incredibly toxic to corals and other marine species, the International Coral Reef Foundation said. From yesterday, those found or selling creams containing any on a list of 10 ingredients in Palau will be fined $1,000. I'm not getting the rest of it to open up here. Yeah, that's, that's what I ran into. <laughs> oh, okay, I got you. All right. Yeah, yeah uh, okay. But but I guess we got kind of the gist there, and we have the links in the show notes for people All right. who want to read it. But <laughs> but the, uh, I mean, kind of the, the that's the thing we're seeing more of is uh, uh, tropical locations banning it just out of a little bit of caution. Uh which is fine because we've got alternatives. I don't think the alternatives are are significantly more expensive than what's there now. 
And then uh, Hero Scuba Group aims to reduce side effects of PTSD suffered by veterans and first responders via scuba diving. The Hero Scuba Group, a 501c3 organization out of San Antonio, Texas, founded by four veterans suffering from PTSD, depression, anxiety, and injuries suffered during deployments. HSG works to reduce the side effects of PTSD, anxiety, trauma, and injuries suffered by veterans and first responders via scuba diving, group therapy, aquatic conservation outings. John Hopkins University has completed trials researching the benefits of scuba diving to post-traumatic stress disorder and spinal cord injuries in heroes. The university 2014 trial showed a 15% increase in motor function in spinal cord patients and alleviated PTSD symptoms about 80% of patients after scuba diving therapy. This trial validates scuba diving as a beneficial therapy for its victims of PSD and injuries. HSG partners with counselors and church pastors to provide group counseling to veterans, first responders to heal those suffering from these afflictions. Faith-based counseling is the highest echelons of the executive branch support in deterring veteran and first responder suicide. Uh, President Trump's executive order on ending veteran suicide, he called for inclusion of faith-based organizations. Operations Neptune's Guardians, Protecting and Preserving Heroes are ingrained to work together to accomplish the mission, and many have a hard time not having a mission when they leave jobs of serving others. What better mission than preserve endangered fresh and saltwater ecosystems from extinction? And then uh, they have a list of some of the group's activities, Project AWARE, Supports divers acting in their own communities to protect the ocean with focus on implementing lasting changes in two core areas, shark conservation and marine litter. Uh, Coral uh, farming, 90% of staghorn and elkhorn coral have been lost on U.S. and Caribbean coral reefs. The group will actively participate in restoring the coral reef system, helping this create and maintain offshore coral nurseries and performing other restorative techniques. Lionfish mitigation. Uh, their introduction is believed to be a result of hurricanes and tank releases during early 1990s. Lionfish are voracious carnivores that consume many other indigenous fish species and left unchecked can kill three-quarters of the reef's fish population. They also have sea turtle conservation and uh, monitoring of coral bleaching. So uh, we've covered this a few times in the show. I think, uh, I mean, I know the effect that it has on me going underwater and i and i don't have ptsd so at least that i know of yeah well you know some of us here are um you know handicapped scuba association certified uh karen eric and myself and uh you know when you introduce scuba diving to folks with uh any sort of uh physical emotional mental challenges it really does open up a great deal for them. And I know that, uh, you know, there's been discussion of, uh, I know the local dive shop here, uh, Subaquatic Sports, is actually looking at uh, hosting an event for getting uh, persons, um, veterans with PTSD, possibly in the uh, water for some scuba diving experience. Um, you know, Karen, Eric, and myself, and a few others uh, actually became certified to uh, work with folks who have different disabilities. And, you know, when you see, you know, how their face brightens up, when they realize 
that us breathing underwater is not a bunch of voodoo and magic. You know, we, all of us here, we're very experienced divers, and we know, we know all the physics behind it, the mechanics behind it, and how, how what a safe sport we're, we're involved with here. And But to the public, you know, they all think there's some kind of black magic involved down there. And when you bring someone new into that, I'm not sure how well any of you can recall, you know, your first Discover Scuba experience, you know, that first time you were underwater and you're thinking like, wow, I'm like, I'm underwater and I'm not like screaming and dying here. This is actually kind of cool. And to introduce that to, to folks who thought that was beyond their abilities, uh, I'll tell you, it gives the diver with them a warm and fuzzy that just doesn't go away. And a number of us have been involved with, with this uh, Mary Freebed program um, in association with, uh, oh, what is it, um, Adaptive Diving Unlimited. And it's very addictive. I, I, know, I know Mac has been to a number of the events. Mac is often you know, takes photographs of the events. He often writes you know, posts on Facebook and different groups. I'm sure he's talked about it here as well. But, uh, you know, it's something that we take for granted, you know, because all of us are quite experienced. But when you bring that to someone who thought that it was beyond them, uh, it's magic. It, that's where the magic comes into play is watching how it affects them. And that that's special, especially with people who are looking for that opportunity to, to have a little bit of an adventure. Well, I can say, uh, you know, I've been involved with the Mary Freebed program uh, three years now. And, you know, they say that the first person benefited by volunteering is the volunteer. And yes, you know, we as volunteers really do get something out of this because, you know, when you when you see what we're bringing to these folks, because with the Mary Freebed program, they have folks in there who have, uh, you know, uh, Down syndrome, who have paraplegia. You know, you, you, you don't, we cautiously don't refer to a person who, as being paraplegic, but they have the illness. It's not that the illness has them. And, you know, I remember there's one gal I was working with, uh, actually is a uh, basketball coach. She leads a very athletic life, but uh, she has paraplegia. And for her kids to see mom get in the pool and put on scuba gear and swim around underwater, and just everybody was beaming after that moment there. And I know Eric has stories about this. I know Karen has stories about this. I know Mac has stories about this. And, you know, uh, we could devote an entire podcast to talking about the benefits of getting folks with disabilities in, you know, in the water. But uh, it, it is magic. It really is to see what, how it affects these folks. And, yeah, I know Karen and Eric are both talking in the, in the chat room about the uh, – Oh, there's been some complications, as I know that Subaquatic Sports at Battle Creek has really been putting in the effort to try to have this event with uh, veterans take place. And uh, whenever you're trying to get something new like this off the ground, it's a challenge because the Mary Freebed, that's a very large organization which has been doing this for a number of years. I think that event has been going on since at least 2007. And, you know, they've got all the structure is in place you know, all the insurance is in place, although, you know, everything, every, everything is said, although they're, they're having, actually having some change-ups this, 
next year because of uh, due to insurance. You know, insurance is always cha- always going to muddy the waters for us, and you know it's you know it'll throw you a curveball here and there. But uh, yeah, it's it's moving forward. Um, you know that program at Mary Freebed is not going to end. Uh, it's going to be modified in the future, but it's not going to end. But uh, you know the program working with veterans here locally, um, I believe it's going to come together. Eric is talking about there. There's a there may be another way to to, to go about this, but uh, I hope so. I I wish I could be more involved with it. My involvement with the preserves has kind of um, limited my free time, but it is just a magnificent program. And their Facebook page, correct me if I'm wrong, Eric. I believe it is uh, Adaptive Diving Unlimited now. I know they just had a, had a name change, but uh, yes, Eric says it is. But uh, great organization you know i recommend to any of our listeners um you know look into this in your area there may be an organization doing this it's very very volunteer dependent i want to say it takes like 60 different people volunteering to put on the event at mary free but a minimum of 60 and that's to get a total of like 20 people in the water and uh, Karen is posting links to adaptive diving in our Facebook and well, in the chat room right now. Um, you know, I know that. What else is? What's the other group? Um, oh, someone help me out here. The the splinter group that spun off that that's very well known. Uh, Dive Heart, Dive Heart's out there, and uh, you know most of us have seen them at the different trade shows, and uh, they basically have taken handicap scuba association rules to the next level. They uh, handicap scuba association started off in 1980 in the parking lot of us divers of all places. And, uh, there were a number of folks involved with that who decided that they wanted to, uh, add some more training. And, uh, I, I, I can see their point, you know, they, uh, wanted to make it a little, um, a little bit more all encompassing, and they've had a great deal of success with it, too. And, you know, you can find all kinds of videos on YouTube about this. Uh, you can find a lot of posts on Facebook that we made about this. You know, just, you know, go to Facebook and search for Dive Heart. Search for Adaptive Diving Unlimited. Um, if you have a group like this in your area, offer them your support, whether it is financial support, um, your skills as a diver support. Uh, they may want you to get certified to work with people. Before you do, you know you get involved with it, um, it's it's a it's a great certification. It really really is cool. Uh, you know it's uh, makes you a much more competent diver, and it'll show you your weaknesses too. So okay, I'll get off my soapbox. Thanks for letting me plug this here, Darren. <laughs> I'll move on. So. <laughs> it's, it's it's a good cause, and it's it's one of those things. I wish I had some time to be able to participate in that because I uh, I can see the joy that the volunteers yeah. get out of doing it. That's a great picture there, Karen. Karen just posted a uh, picture of the uh, most recent event. Um, you know, I think we had like uh, close to 30 divers up there last year helping out, plus the staff from Mary Freebed. And I know the last event was just marvelous. Unfortunately, I was not able to attend. I had other responsibilities there. I'm, I'm still an organizer for the group. I uh, locate divers and folks and staff to help out for this organization. Um I'm, I'm involved much as I possibly can. Sometimes I'm kind of in the background, uh, you know, making phone calls. But I'm I'm always I'm always there in one capacity or another. So I, I see a I see a couple muddies in there too. Yeah, yeah, that that one there. We you know I'm seeing. Yeah, we we had Sweeney. I think we have uh, yeah, the the Sinskis there. 
there's a few of us. And I know the up the one we had the year before last, we had a tremendous amount of media coverage. It was kind of funny. I mean, <laughs> I think uh, Fox and uh, was it ABC? They had to actually position their camera crews so they didn't they were <laughs> taking pictures of each other out there. <laughs> so, yeah, it was you know, yeah. it's a great cause, don't wanna, marvelous, don't marvelous cause. Promote the, yeah, yeah, very good. And then next we have. Uh, scientists have found a whale that they believe is older than the USA. The whale may have been alive since 25 years before the USA existed. Scientists have made a discovery that a mammal, uh, mammals live far longer than expected, meaning the bowhead whale, which is an average 268-year life expectancy. The whale lives in the Arctic and was previously known to live 211 years. One whale was dated using amino acids from its eyes. Uh, Australian researchers use a genetic clock to predict animals' lifespans, and they say that whales live 60 years longer than that. They worked out the math after studying 42 genes using a chemical process called methylation, method used to predict life expectancy. Vertebrates range hugely in lifespan, from a pygmy goby to a tropical fish that lives only eight weeks to a bowhead whale. This is incredible to think that there's an animal which lives almost three centuries and could have been alive when Captain Cook first arrived in Australia. The results also helped to work out animals' risk of extinction. This could not be used to predict people's lifespan as it looks at species rather than individuals. It also provides averages only. So that's uh, pretty old. 268 years. I mean, you know, we, we have to get these... Uh articles on here about um, scuba divers going into their 80s and uh, sometimes beyond that. But uh, here, we got a diver here almost three centuries here. All right. That's pretty impressive. So Yeah. And then this next one, and I, I am having a little hard time believing this is actually something. The Exolung <laughs> is a revolutionary scuba rig that lets you breathe infinitely Underwater, it says, unless you dive like some of you with large nests underwater with really large tubes that usually end with getting the bend, scuba diving is quite complicated, cumbersome, and requires a lot of training. This new device, aptly named the Exolung, is super lightweight, compact solution to infinitely breathe underwater. It requires no charges or refills and might be a cool new way to scuba dive in the future. The Exolung is actually quite similar to snorkeling. In fact, you're simply drawing air from the surface instead of taking it down with you like you normally do while scuba diving. It uses a flotation buoy where the air hose is attached. It also acts as a bright signal to boaters and others to let them know you're under the scuba, under it scuba diving. And uh, they say, how does it work? Instead of batteries or power sources to draw air down the tube for easy breathing, it uses your own body power to take in air and release carbon dioxide back in the water. You, your breathing gets synchronized with your swimming movements by a cable that's attached to your legs. That way, as you extend your legs to swim forward, fresh air is drawn down from the surface while simultaneously displacing water from your air bell. You can optionally connect it with the fin kick propulsion. Uh, and they've got a animated GIF to try and show what that is doing. 
Uh, Axel Lung comes with many different components that all work together, create extremely unique underwater breathing system, allows you to scuba dive for as long as you like without the need to return to the surface for oxygen refills or battery recharging. Exolung is created by an Australian startup. It's currently a private initiative in its final prototyping phase. The company states that there's a high degree of safety due to inflatable dive buoy, which a diver is attached to at all times. Unique scuba apparatus lets you dive up to five meters or 16.4 feet, and it's simply affordable option compared to other standard scuba rigs, plus it requires no diving certification to use. Requires no diving certification to use or no diving certification to stay alive with it. Yeah. yeah. And, they, and they go on. I'm, I'm just looking at the pictures at this point. Um, I am not convinced. Because <laughs> uh, how, how deep can you breathe just if you had a straw to the surface? What is that, about five feet? It's about as far five as you feet, can go? Five feet, yeah. 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 And so somehow they're trying to convince you that there is, there has to be some sort of pumping action, which is because you, you know, a hooker rig has a compressor that's compressing that air and pushing it down to you. So you're somehow they doing this by kicking. I'm having a hard time that almost a half an atmosphere you're going to be able to push down. You'd have to have a heck of a mechanical advantage for this to work. Yeah, the I'm sure. Magic, inter- yeah. The picture is interesting. If you try breathing on a snorkel that's over a foot and a half, you're not going to be able to do it. If you've looked at the pictures here, it looks like there's some type of device. Uh, have you gone down and looked at all the uh, pictures of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if you've got that piston and your your foot is, you know, they're using a kick motion to it. You're mm-hmm. drawing down. That's drawing air from the surface down by vacuum, you're breathing it. As as you kick again, you're bringing air back down, has a check valve, so you can breathe the air that it captured. But I don't really see how that is an efficient stroke for a diver. And then again, the one you mentioned before is, if you go down and you're 15 feet, you take a big breath of air and you panic and you come up, you got a problem. Yeah, yeah. You need some kind of training on this here because you still. I'm trying to think about the physics on this, but yeah, Mac is absolutely right. This, uh, you know, you, you're going to have a, you know, a compressed volume of air in your lungs. To in order to inflate that, and you, yeah, you can still get. A, you might not get bent, but you're going to get a lung a lung embolism on it. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes they. They try and sell people that the fact you don't need, that you're not legally required for training is that it's safe. And that's two different things. Well, you're not actually in the U.S. legally required to be certified to scuba dive. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I think the, they kind of depend upon self-regulation or Darwin to, uh, you know, certify you. Yeah, really what it is, is you can buy the gear. It's just that dive shops will not refill your tanks for you. Yeah, in, in theory, in theory. but uh, I, I think most of us, at least I know I started that before I had any kind of scuba training. And the key item was, you know, well, try this, don't hold your breath, and let's go play. And that's what we did. And in our ignorance, we were 
safe because <laughs> nothing bad happened to us. Yeah, but at that point, people weren't quite so sue happy as they are today. I oh, absolutely. I expect within six months, this will no longer be around. I mean, uh, this company is going to, someone's going to get hurt. Someone's going to get sued. I mean, yeah, I mean, we know about getting certified as a scuba diver. It's actually not teaching you how to dive. It's teaching you about what to do when the, when the, when the dive goes wrong. And yeah, as Eric and Derek have pointed out here in the chat room, um, you know, there's, there are plenty of diving emergencies, which we're trained to deal with, which someone that just buys this thing off of eBay, you know, goes out, jumps in the pond out back is not going to be prepared for. And actually there's probably things which even us as veteran divers, cause this is a different, a new item to us is, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to do it. I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> well, that goes back down to the hookah rigs and the snoopers. The same thing. You don't really need training. Well, you do. Yep. Yeah. Well, well when, yeah. The, the the public doesn't understand what we're doing down there. I mean, heck, most of us will think we're going to taking our oxygen tanks down there. <laughs> you know? Well, I look at the photo, and here you've got one photo where I swear the guy is holding on to a coral, and then that begs the question of how is buoyancy going to be controlled? Yeah. Good point. I mean, I think your your altitude is going to be completely controlled by, by your swimming attitude. And, yeah, you have no control of buoyancy. Yeah, that's, uh, well, and, and really, well, for, well, also, you probably got to be weighted for this, too, because you're taking down a sizable volume of, of, of air with you. So I'm sure when that lung down there is full, it's probably got, you know, a minimum of, uh, you know, five, maybe 10 pounds of buoyancy on you. So now you're having to take a weight, pot, a weight pack down there with you. Yeah. And of course, these people, are, you don't need to be certified. So, so they say, so you're not going to know to ditch your weights or anything. I mean, yeah, this thing can go south in so many ways. I mean, and, it, and even the pictorial does not show the weight system that they're using to counteract this buoyancy. Yeah. No, it doesn't. No. Yeah. So, so they've got the, uh, Several different versions, which all I can tell is it's really just giving you longer hoses and a little bit different material it's made out of. But uh, they've got three models that are about 300 euros and one, the Pro Breather, which is 500 euros. So that's that's not cheap. You're, you're yeah. really, in, if, in U.S. dollars, you're into used scuba gear price. So the sales pitch really has to be that they're trying to, you know, it's for people who don't want to go and get the training. All right. And here's, okay, I was trying to wrap my brain around the physiology on this here. And I just got it. Um, I'm assuming this cylinder and piston assembly here is you know, hard enough to withstand the pressures at perhaps 15 feet, as that looks to be, you know, the, the maximum length of this, this cord on it, uh, you know, the, the, air, the air excess. Well, you are using your legs to fill the cylinder at 15 feet, which is going to be, you know, now you have an atmosphere and a half on it. There. Well, I mean, basically one acting atmosphere, well, half an atmosphere acting because of the difference with the surface. So now you've got, you know, seven, seven PSI on you there. Um, you're, the cylinder itself, 
does not compress or respond to the pressure of the water around it because it has to be hard enough to withstand the pressure on it. But your lungs still are going to be susceptible to the pressure of the water on it. So now that volume of air going into there, even if you succeed in, in completely filling it with a leg stroke, is only going to be half that volume going into your lungs. So you've got a really good shot at being at the maximum depth on this thing and not being able to get nearly a full breath. Now, experienced scuba diver can generally handle breathing a little shallow, but we also know that when you start breathing shallow on things, now you're not fully clearing out your air spaces, and now you're recycling a lot of your own breath, which has CO2 in it. This is a major CO2 hazard. You're gonna. This is going to get you on a CO2 tox real quick. So... Sorry, guys. I'm scared of this thing. I'm not going to endorse it. <laughs> no, thank well, you. No, n- not not to mention that you, that being doing an activity underwater is physical enough, but you're now going to be using that to draw air down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so this pro- so uh, if if you get one and you survive, let us know. <laughs> We'd be interested to hear your experiences. <laughs> I, yeah, I kind of put this a... in the ever, never-ending Kickstarter-type devices that uh, tend to be a lot of hype. And scuba diving seems to be a target of many of them. We see every year three or four uh, Kickstarter projects, which are just regurgitations of spare air or hooker rigs. Yeah, I just, I don't I know the public has a real fascination with what we do down there, but there's a lot of physiology behind it. And, you know, if the folks that design these products would just simply consult with an open water diver, they could tell you what's wrong with their product. Well, that does it for Scuba in the News for this week. Oh, do, do we want to, Mac, did you want to cover that, uh, that article from Undercurrent, the uh, aggressor fleet? Should we cover that one? Uh, I don't have it handy. I have to look for it. Have you got it okay. yourself? Um, I'm sure I've got it somewhere here. Uh, I click on a few links and I'm stalling. Uh, and Okay, so this is because it, it seems, you know, like tragedies come in waves. So we had that liveaboard tragedy in California that, that killed a lot of people. And then it wasn't, seemed like a week or two later, and we had this one coming out of the Red Sea. And I strongly encourage people who are listening to podcasts to subscribe to Undercurrent. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing word for word. If you want all the details, you really should go and subscribe because they've, they've done a lot of footwork and should be compensated for it to get this information. But uh, reading through it, it alarmed me at the problems that this liveaboard had. Uh, According to the article, and I'll use the word allegedly for some stuff because we haven't verified it, but they're saying there was no night watch, no active smoke detectors. The whole crew was asleep in a blocked emergency hatch. So it ended up with with, uh, uh, killing one person where the previous... uh, fire that happened in California had killed 34. Uh, and let's see, the boat's name was my, uh, was it Suana? Suana? Susanna? Uh, operating out of the Red Sea Aggressor. 
One diver died, an American woman who's attorney of the U.S. State Department in Tanzania. Uh, and what they've done for this article is they've interviewed people who talked about it were on there, and there's just a lot of things that did not go well. So uh, some of it, uh, I mean, one thing is you're not in the U.S., so you like to apply the rules that we have in a, in a fairly wealthy, developed country out here because one thing they're criticizing is that the the company only gave them $123. So after they they got on the boat and they're back to the land, uh, they're only able to get $123. But if you look farther down in the article, they uh, were able to verify that uh, of the, the 17 passengers that were, were given the equivalent of 100 U.S. dollars, that was all money provided directly by the uh, manager of the boat. It wasn't the boat owner or somebody rich. It was somebody who was just trying to help out. But there was uh, also they were in Egypt. So, uh, you know, your passports get uh, burned up in the boat. So there's some challenges of moving around the country and finding housing. Uh, there also was food problems. Uh, uh, but there was a lot of uh, outreach of, of locals in providing clothing uh, and food from the article. Uh, another interesting point was that there, they think it was a lithium battery that was the culprit. They had uh, been told after that previous accident that they needed to develop plans to adjust for it and to never let lithium batteries be charged expect in a, except in an uh, area where the crew would be present 24 hours a day, which was the salon. But apparently, with all the best intentions, none of those things are being followed on this particular livable. Well, you know, you know, complacency kills, and you can have all this kind of regulation, you know, posted, but unless it's enforced, um, people aren't going to follow these regulations simply on the honor program. And you know, that's what we probably saw with the uh, Concepcion disaster, is that. Um, you know, this all has been this accepted etiquette of only charging your batteries when you are that are directly to supervise it. But you know, charging a camera battery takes all night. You know, especially when you're on vacation, you're probably not going to sit there and watch that. I mean, yeah, I mean, we all use those uh, eighteen six eighteen six fifty uh, three point seven volt batteries in our dive lights and so many different things. And yeah, I mean, charging that thing it it's a you know a ten hour minimum to you know, if they're dead to fully charge one. And it's a real tragedy. I don't know what the answer is. You know, I mean, do you outlaw charging completely and force people to bring enough batteries on board to, you know, get you through your trip? Well, you can be on these other boards for two weeks, you know, and you're diving, you know, double dips every day or more. That's, uh, you know, they're going to come up with, with a better answer. Yeah. Well, I think in the in the case of charging, if it was if it's something that happens during the charging, uh, they could there, there are ways they could handle it. Uh, a lot of times, what you see is this appears to be uh, attempts to uh, not follow processes or rules that they've uh, decided to put on themselves. I'm not sure in the Middle East what the rules are, but uh, my understanding is that you have to have a member of the crew awake at all times on these liveaboards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that uh, sounds like that was the rule. But again, complacency did not. Uh, well, people, you know, they didn't follow that rule on the Concepcion, and it 
I mean, I don't know what the facts are. I guess it's ongoing investigation, but the preliminary reports were that the guy who was on supposed to be on watch was not. So. Well, I would say stay tuned for next week because a couple of the articles we're going to talk about will be about lithium batteries and charging batteries and on a boat. That'll be one of the items. Secondary item is uh, when we talk about undercurrent. I have no trouble ever using any of the undercurrent information because they encourage anybody who gets their publication to send that. Matter of fact, at the end of every article, it would be, don't forget to send this to your dive buddy. So sharing information is good because the more people who read it and realize undercurrent's pretty darn good will probably take it upon themselves and uh, get that issued to them. Yeah, that's good to know because – you know, we we cover a lot of the news on this program, but we're not a news program or an entertainment program that talks about uh, diving news as points of topics. So, uh, yeah. And we try to use valid sources for our information. Yes. And then if we yeah, find yeah. something that's not 100% correct, we usually are being, we're able to uh, bring that up and say, this was what they said last time. Further investigation has shown the following items. And matter of fact, next week we're going to talk about the depths that have occurred by using the full face uh, scuba mask. Oh, excellent, because that that's one yeah. that we've talked about. Because it's sometimes you read these articles because they make headlines, and you just never find anything about it again because it's it's past its news cycle. So it was Should covered by, and matter of fact, uh, without you even knowing it, uh, Kevin. You gave the exact reason for the depths when you were talking about shallow water breathing. Okay. Uh, the company who made the best full face got everybody else's plus their own, ran them through test, and the bottom line, and we'll talk about it next week, will be if you do not take rhythmic deep breaths and exhale completely, you will do just what you said. You'll bring up your CO2 content and you'll black out. Mm-hmm. And if you're not cognizant of the you know the potential and are wearing a flotation device, one do they know how to read? Yeah, well, and you're that's some of the items they bring up. One of the first symptoms of CO2 poisoning is getting sleepy. So you're just not you may not be aware of it when it sneaks up on you. So. So check in next week, and we'll be going over that in a little more detail. Excellent. 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 Well, has anybody been getting any diving in? I know we didn't uh, have anybody last week, but uh, uh, we did have some Gull Lake people. And I think somebody, Mac, didn't we have somebody get in the river recently? Well, we got into the river for New Year's, Kevin included, and uh, we had a nice little turnout there. Ah, in spite right. of yeah. not having snow and rural, you know, having a party, it was more of a pickup. But we had good shore support, which is always great for that kind of event. Um, I enjoyed it, Kevin. Did you uh, did you have a good time? Oh yeah, it was an excellent time. You know, well the uh, visibility wasn't the best. Is our <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure if it was the river or the fact that I was just down current from Sir Larry there, but uh, visibility was uh, <laughs> was not so hot. But you know, you, you're, you're not there for that. You're there to you know to spend New Year's underwater. And you know, of course, I got got my sweetheart Amy in the water with us too. And uh, you know, it was a, a great time. 
So, and then so I know that uh, Sweeney was out at the quarry, and actually he made the paper down there. Mm-hmm. Or did you see the article on that? Uh, so they did have, what did they say, 30, 30 divers at the quarry for the New Year's Day dive? Oh, oh, for the day dive. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, and I think uh, Dave Toneman's group did something out in Ohio as well. I mean, yep. uh, you know, there, there are quite a few folks that were underwater for New Year's. I didn't – hey, I got Eric in the chat room. Did the uh, subaquatic sports guys do something on New Year's Day? So I seemed like I saw a post on New Year's Day. There was a group that were diving out at Prairie View. So you know, quite a, you know, Eric is responding now. Eric says Scott did. Okay. Yeah, I miss the New Year's Day dives because we used to do them up there in Holland. And for years yes. we had done those. And then our benefactor who opened up his house uh, and has helped organize them uh, kind of retired from scuba diving there pretty quick. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, although I, I got to wonder, you know, the article about the Mud Club says that uh, – Mud Club spends New Year's Eve in a dive, but wasn't the Nugget closed that night? <laughs> yeah, I saw that little addition you had there. <laughs> Mud Club spends New Year's Eve in a dive. Well, that's the only dive I know of in that area, you know, but all right. Yeah. I, I thought you were going to say the good enough. As <laughs> as the nugget. All right, all right. Well, yeah. I know I, I Don was actually, we, we did call the good enough to think about getting a getting a New Year's drink, and they weren't answering the phone. So, yeah. Oh. yeah I don't know. I, I thought about bringing down a bottle of champagne or something there, but uh, I figured between the the current, the night, the cold, the, 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 the you know, the the mediocre visibility, uh, you know, we already had enough challenges in there without adding champagne <laughs> into it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. So hope I, well, I, I spent my New Year's Eve in a casino. My daughter turned 21 and wanted to go learn gambling. So I, I spent $16 on three beers and she ended up losing $20. She won like 140 at the black chap table and then promptly fed the slot machines. <laughs> so a little bit of reality learning there, I guess going on. Yeah. yeah. Well, at least you were out. So yeah. Yeah. yeah it was, sounds like you know, quite a few of us got, you know, did some kind of, some kind of a underwater celebration for New Year's. So, uh, you know, you can always, now's a good time to make the resolution of diving more for next year. Uh, yeah. Whatever per- you want to do. For, so. Perfect time for that. So, and, and I think the trick to diving more is to planning it, like carving out specific weekends where you don't let other things get scheduled. Uh, and and it, it's appropriate now for me to do my generic call out, which is informs, Everybody in my family, they're not allowed to graduate, get married, or die uh, in the next 12 months. So I find that's when I get the most diving in. If you could enforce that last part, it would be really good. <laughs> yeah. I, I mandate that. So there it's so. You just get into your Google Calendar and you just black out those dates. I'm going yeah, diving. Out. Yeah. Although I, I've got a, a good buddy of mine is a – the pilot buddy that, uh, you know, he blacks the dates out anyway, and he still goes down and <laughs> work in there, but it's the way it goes. So. Yeah. <laughs> so so any dives that we have scheduled, anything coming up on the map that people have, have got reserved or blocked out? 
I don't have anything myself for all of January. I do know that we should be having somewhat Ford Seahorses in February since we are not having our world underwater. Yeah, that was kind of the, shocking. I I was surprised to see that our world underwater uh, isn't going to be around. Is that the first time since they founded that they haven't had a show? That's the first one I remember of not having one. Yeah, to, to my knowledge, it was the first you know, the first time they've missed it. But, the, you know, this was just kind of a scheduling fluke. Um, I can tell you from everything I've picked up, it's, I, I know that they originally had scheduled it for two weeks prior to what it ended up. Our Winter Water was most recently announced as it was going to be on February 29th and March 1st weekend. Um, previously, it had been announced that it was going to be two weeks before that. But uh, it sounds like the uh, the venue where they hold it decided to uh, you know bump them in favor of another event. And you know when you're in Chicago, where are you going to find another venue for something that size? You know it's not booked five out five years out. So they yeah. were forced to go to the date of the 29th and the 1st, which they didn't want to do. Uh, the, we have another show, the Ford Seahorses, already had picked that weekend in over in Ann Arbor. And, uh, you know, from my understanding, it's a, it's a, it's a friendly relationship there. The, but, the, you know, they, the organizer for our world was forced to change the dates. And uh, I can only speculate from there as to why, you know, um, I do know that these kind of uh, events do require commitments and contracts and plans, uh, you know, a year in advance, you know, because you've got all kinds of folks that are coming in from all over the world for this stuff. Uh, yeah. You know, you've got a lot of saltwater destinations who are coming in to promote their, you know, their, their liveaboards or their, um, you know, their destinations in Fiji and, all, you know, all over the world. And, you know, this stuff, you can't just change it three months in advance and expect people to modify around that. And, you know, I know there was a quite a fair amount of discussion about it and they really didn't want to cancel it, but they were left with no choice. So, but we still have the Ford Seahorses, which is going on in uh, Ann Arbor on February 29th. That is a one day event. And I understand next week we're going to have uh, Nick Lewinsky on, who's going to give us a big rundown on the program. Uh, I will be speaking there myself, but I'm not going to plug that. I will show – I'm going to try to put a uh, – I can find the link for it. I will get the link here into the chat room about it. But, uh, again, that is February 29th of this year. Uh, I recommend anyone, if it, you can make it, Please make it. It's a kind of a big reunion up there. One of the things I really enjoy about that program is that you see so many folks you've dove with, so many folks that you like to dive with again, so many folks you're glad with you don't dive with anymore. You know, it's but it's it's a lot of fun. A lot of good people up there. You get to rub elbows with uh, you know a lot of the people who have been in the news for great discoveries. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of stuff. Um, you know, that's been found in the last year. And these folks are showing up there because, yeah, it's a good time to beat your chest and brag and say, hey, look what I found. Isn't that cool? And, yeah, I mean, there's some, been some cool stuff found this year. So yeah. So uh, at Ford's uh, Seahorses, I understand that they got some uh, good speakers this year. Um, nah, they kind of settled for me. You know, okay. So. Yeah. But, so, uh, yeah. so go ahead. Next, 
next week i was going to say we're going to have a guest we're going to have one of the organizers of the the group on the show so uh, we'll be able to get a little bit more information and then we may have a couple of the guests coming on in the following week so we're trying to work yeah. on that hopefully i can get everything edited so that we actually get episodes out uh before the show happens so yeah, I, I, of course, was kidding about the uh, settling that they do have some great speakers on there. I know that, um, what is it, uh, Rick Mixter's going to be there. He always puts on a, a great program. Yes. He's uh, going to be touching on the, uh, what he says is the greatest shipwreck in the world. You know, he's a very knowledgeable fella. I'll be quite curious to see what, in his opinion, is the greatest shipwreck in the world. Uh, I'm currently posting a link in the chat room to the Ford Seahorses website, which will have the uh, details regarding the program coming up. I do know that the uh, tickets are cheaper if you buy them before the program. If yeah. you, at the door, I want to say they're $30 at the door, but there are places you can buy them online for like $25. So uh, check it out. Um um, look, looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, it's kind of what gets your blood going, like coming back into in the dive season, yeah. you know, because yeah. if, if, if you're not doing the ice dives, then you at least have to be doing the shows. Right. And, right. And, I mean, no, that there are a number of us and people in the chat as well who are year-round divers and who'll be out there, but you know, we got to accept the, that we're not the norm. If, if we were normal, it wouldn't be so much fun either, you know. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, come on, a big part of the the enjoyment of doing the New Year's dive is you post it on Facebook and your friends are like, what were you thinking? What are you doing? New, isn't that water cold? Why are you out there? You know, well, yeah, but it's what we do. You know, I mean, I mean, if everybody did, it'd be normal. So, yeah. And we have to find something unusual, else unusual. <laughs> well, Karen, good luck with you. your health getting better. I know she's talking about uh, wants to get back in. I know you've kind of had a down season there. Uh, I'm sure we'll come back around for you eventually. Just uh, patience. You know, the only thing worse than healing is healing all over again because it didn't go right the first time. But you know all about that. So, but, uh, yeah, uh, you know, and I'm going to encourage folks, if you're coming out to the show, um, it's always good to bring some buddies with you. You know, if you poke around with your friends, uh, I'm sure you'll find people going out, you know, make a road trip out of it. You know, uh, it's, it's a good time. Well, Mac, do you have a dive safety story for this week? Actually, I do. Actually, I do. Uh, we'll just start it off this way. Air supply cuts off when regulator failed. A diver's regulator suddenly failed and cut off air supply, even though there's still a third of the air pressure remaining in the tank. The story is, I was diving with a regulator that I had purchased eight months earlier. It was the first dive of the day, and I entered the water at approximately 7.45 a.m. with over 2,900 pounds, at which time I descended to a depth of 91 feet looking for sharks. Relatively quickly, I left this depth, made my way to a shallower to an average depth of around 60 feet, <clears throat> Excuse me, and was photographing along the way. I was diving solo. However, there were approximately 16 other divers in the area at various points along the wall. I passed another photographer in order to stay out of his shot and went on up a bit further. 
upon seeing a fan I wanted to photograph, I did what I always do. I looked at my computer, checked my air and my depth. That time, I was approximately 53 feet and had about 1,100 pounds in my tank. I took several shots of the fan. I remember completing a big exhale when I finished and righted myself, started to begin swimming on. However, when I tried to take a breath, I got nothing. I immediately grabbed my octopus, expecting to get some air, but there was absolutely nothing. No air at all. I did a 360 in the water to see if I could see someone close enough to help and saw the diver I had just passed, but I motioned, but he wasn't looking up, and I believed it was too far for me to risk swimming towards him, especially down. I made the decision to do an emergency ascent to the surface. I was already beginning to have that desire to do a deep breath. So at some point, I looked at the computer. It read zero time remaining. On the way to the surface, I again tried to breathe, zero air. When I popped to the surface, the dinghy was very close to me. I quickly got in and told the driver that I ran out of air and I needed to do an emergency ascent, and it would be really smart if I got on some oxygen. At this point, I grabbed my dive computer, and it read 900 pounds. I was confused by this because I saw it at depth. It was zero, zero, zero. Again, on the surface air, I tried both regs again. Neither of them would breathe. I remember showing him the computer and saying something like, but there is air in the tank. Upon arriving at the resort, dive manager put me on oxygen for about 20 minutes or so. I, along with others, watched as he immediately checked my regulator on another tank. I believe it breathed once on a full tank, however, not on any partial fill. He took the tank I was using in front of everybody. He examined it thoroughly. Nothing wrong or unusual about the tank. I had used the tank as a side note for the rest of the trip with a new first stage, and everything worked fine. The boat manager tested my rig again after the next dive by having someone come back with 900 pounds. It continued to fail and would not breathe. As a result of that, I sat out diving for about 30 hours and went back with a new first stage system. I had no other incidents with the new stage, and I was using the same tank I'd used before. I believe this was clearly a catastrophic failure of my regulator first stage, and it failed closed. Now, the comment. The comment. Scuba regulators work nowadays on a downstream principle when the air flows down from a high pressure to an intermediate pressure and then down to a low pressure. Because of this, they are often thought of as fail-safe because many failures will cause a free flow of air rather than cut off the supply. Indeed, it is very rare for a first stage to fail in the way the diver described. But this particular first stage had an automatic closure device to seal the first stage when it's taken off the tank to to prevent water from getting into it. After initially reporting the incident on Dan Incident Reporting System, the diver followed up with a report a few months later to advise that the manufacturer had posted a consumer safety notice on their website recommending a voluntary product check because the component of that system may not have been tightened to the correct torque, leading to a possible gas flow failure during a dive. So any diver who owns a regulator that has an automatic closure device should check the manufacturer's website for product safety notices. 
Now, solo diving or diving without a companion close by has gained popularity in recent years since the self-reliant diver certification courses became available. A core element of many of these courses is the adoption of a redundant air source in case a failure such as I had occurs. Unfortunately, though, I did not carry a redundant air supply and needed to make an emergency ascent. Luckily, it was the first dive of the day, and I'd moved the shallower water during the dive. So that's the words of wisdom. Now, actually, this is interesting because we had covered this automatic closure device before. Yeah. We covered it two years ago. Huh. So I think it's interesting that how many people actually look for product recalls on their dive equipment every month. I would say nobody. I'd say yeah. about the same amount of any other piece of equipment. Because you are constantly seeing items on BCs and on the, you know, either the dump valves or the fill line. And now you're seeing them on the automatic closures. I have seen this before. So since this is new, I think that was quite interesting and worth repeating. Mm -hmm. Well, I know most of us in the club are using those uh, Poseidon uh, jet streams, which I think all the recalls on those probably happened back in the 1970s. So I think we're pretty safe on those. But uh, yeah, you know, it's good to check on those product recalls, definitely. And that's one thing I think we try to do. Because quite often we will talk about product recalls on this show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, another yeah, good reason to turn into scuba ups. So. Yeah, sorry. I was yeah, going to say I do use my Poseidons. <laughs> <laughs> well, anytime we see a product recall, we try and, and cover it. Uh, we've talked about it a few times, but there really doesn't seem to be a good centralized location for scuba diving equipment recalls to go and look. So it's kind of a hodgepodge, hit or miss as to where and when you can find them. Uh, if you have a question, talk to your dive shop, but that also counts on your dive shop being able to keep track of all those. And it's also because if you're buying used gear, you are not the registered owner of it. And if they did a recall, you might not get it because a lot mm -hmm. of times you got used gear because that guy ain't diving no more. Yeah. 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 And the, and the chat room is also having fun uh, with those of us who have had critters stuck in our, uh, dive gear which uh brings <laughs> up the uh the caterpillar larvae that i had in uh, uh yeah and that was uh you, you remember what dive that was mac when that happened no i do not that was the barge and crane before we knew it was the barge and crane ah uh. you had just the targets and you you were like oh i don't dive any deeper than x number of feet and then it seemed like you'd come across those numbers and you're like, hey, let's go out and dive on this. And it was at 125. Yeah. <laughs> so we both had bailouts and uh, we were going down. And even though I had a bailout, uh, I think I was down about 18 feet when it's, it started breathing. I was breathing on my regulator and it kind of hesitated. And then I went and tried to take another breath and a little bit less, but I was still getting air. So, and this is probably dive. 40 or so for me. So I'm, I'm just like, no, I'm breathing. I'm, I'm coming up. So I signaled to come up and, uh, what had ended up happening is I had, uh, an 80 cubic tank that had the, uh, 
the the valve had the spot in it for a uh, convertible dit to din so you could spin out the center part for the din and that happens to be the perfect size for caterpillars or moths whoever laid the eggs decide that's <laughs> where they wanted to nest and uh that i was overly cheap and i'm not going to spring for the two dollars to buy the dust covers so uh what had promptly happened is uh a full tank they had laid they laid their eggs in that uh opening where that that din adapter goes and uh, of course when you hook up your uh yoke regulator and put some air to it it then pushed all those caterpillar guts into the uh into the first stage of the regulator. So, and that was one of those Aqualung where it had the, uh, you know, the sealing, you know, the self-sealing valves, but it doesn't self-seal when you tie down, when you attach the yoke and then force it in. So, uh, I, uh, but I did go diving the next day. I was, I was able to, uh, clean all the guts out and, uh, it worked. So that was kind of, thank you, Karen, for let me relive that. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, my mine wasn't quite that graphic there, right? I don't know. I was assembling my rebreather, and uh, you know, I always do my pre-breathe at home. So people do it on, do it on site. Well, I did it at home. I always do it at home, and uh, you know, I did notice that I feel like I was getting like some hair in my, in my mouthpiece, and uh, went through it trying to track down where this this fibers are coming from, and. To find out, uh, she had a mouse that made a nest in one of the <laughs> counter. Yeah, yeah, and uh, got, you know, got it all cleaned out and everything, and sterilized and all. You know, fortunately, didn't chew a hole or anything in it. But uh, yeah, you know, they, they they like to burrow and get and get into things with holes and counter lungs. You know, they've got a nice little inlet, a little outlet, some pipes involved. Yeah, they don't. They love that stuff, you know. Yeah. So uh, well, I even got attacked by this the mice this last year. There's nothing scarier. Then you open up a bag and you see some droppings. Uh-huh. And what they had done, they hadn't they didn't pierce through anything but whatever the uh the rubber on my uh BCD is was was just attractive enough they had to take a nibble on it any place they could get to it. So I've got all these serrations on rubber pieces that they didn't pierce through. So uh uh, it's it's actually artistic looking, but I was I was convinced the first time I got in the water with the gear, it was going to uh, blow bubbles. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can give you a shipwreck of the week if you like. Yeah, if you got a shipwreck of the week, let's go ahead and cover that. All right. Well, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a comparison contrast story here. Is, uh, I think this may have been discussed in Scuba in the News already to some extent. But uh, any event, I'm going to tell you about the St. Andrew up at the Straits of Mackinac. This is a uh, very popular wreck that people dive. It is actually, uh, you can reach it pretty easily out of the Sheboygan area. Uh, it's in 52 to 60 foot deep. Uh, there actually is a little bit of penetration potential near the bow on it. But uh, history of it, I'm taking this from straitspreserve.com. It is their own private website. But uh, 
St. Andrew was a 135-foot-long schooner built in Milan, Ohio, 1857. She was carrying corn from Chicago to Buffalo on her fateful voyage in 1878. The St. Andrew sank at night, June 26th, after colliding with the schooner Pastigo. Both were said to have sank together, side by side, but the Pastigo has never been located or identified. Present condition, St. Andrew lies in 65 feet of water, 11 miles southeast of the bridge in Lake Huron. She's moored on her bow. She's upright and fairly broken up. She's a great dive for beginning divers or when the winds make for other dive sites suboptimal. The centerboard, windlass, and major sections of the hull are, are here, but the deck has fallen to the side, and the hull sides are falling over. I will tell you from diving this that uh, that site makes it sound a little unappealing, but it's actually a really, really nice dive. Uh, you know, it's, it is coming apart, but the bow is quite intact. And you, you can see all the, the workings and parts and pieces of, of a ship there. It's really cool. I will also tell you that that page is pretty much completely wrong. They uh, are updating it. There's actually a lot of information going on trying to uh, um, find out exactly what that ship listed is. Because as of this summer, we found out that that was not the St. Andrew. The... Uh, I know that uh, there had been a lot of searching going on and actually in Lake Michigan for it. This is another case of where a ship uh, goes down and uh, is reported in one lake and yet found in another. And the ad I, the article I just posted on it uh, shows about the St. Andrew was actually found again this summer. Much, much deeper. I'd like to know where this is, but... Uh, Apparently, the Sandra was found uh, not far from Beaver Island, which is in Lake Michigan, uh, over by the uh, Charlevoix area. But uh, there are some pictures here in the article I just pasted in showing uh, John Jansen dove it. And the ship they have found now in Lake Michigan, identified as St. Andrew, actually also has the Pastigo right next to it. The boats are like 10 feet apart. And the masts are actually intertwined. It sounds like the rigging actually got, uh, you know, when the boats collided, the rigging got intertwined and one boat drugged the other boat down. And uh, you can imagine how what a terrible situation that would be at night to collide with a boat out of the just looms out of the darkness, collision, crash. Now you're gnarled, you're all tied together and one takes the other one down. This is actually found by, uh, Bernie Hellstrom out of uh, Boyne City, Michigan. He um, was actually watching his bottom penetrating sonar, um, and he came across the image of a, of a ship out there. It was uh, too deep for him to dive, so he uh, contacted uh, John Jansen, and I believe John Jansen and John Scholes dove it last summer. And uh, it's been one of the big finds of this summer. And uh, I would love to find out where this is because these are some beautiful pictures I'm seeing here. You know, this ship is completely intact. Uh, the, the masts are down on everything, but it's, it's all there. And that would be a magnificent dive. But, again, uh, these stories are continuing to be written and rewritten. And uh, now we got to find a name for the boat that's at the Straits because apparently it is not the St. Andrew. Hmm. I know. I've I've dove on it and we've called it the St. Andrew, but it'd be interesting to find out what it really is now. Well, a lot of this is based upon, and I'm not at all going to, to fault um, Daltner 
is uh, most information we have on that is based upon uh, Chuck Feltner's findings initially. And Chuck Feltner and his wife Jerry did marvelous, marvelous work. Most of what we know about the wrecks at the Straits is, is based upon Chuck and Jerry Feltner. Um, but this was um, based upon a mast coin because uh, when a ship was built, uh, traditionally they would place, place a coin on, underneath the main mast and it'll go into that, that, that the, the cup where it settles in the centerboard. And the masts are down on the uh, St. Andrew that's up there. And based upon the date found on that mast coin and the, uh, you know, the measurements they had, which is tough to get exact measurements because the boat is a little broken up, especially around the stern area. Um, you know, they, they had to do some extrapolation and they, you know, it was not the St. Andrew. They thought it was. It is not the St. Andrew. But actually on this uh, picture on the uh, Straits of Mackinac page, it shows the uh, stepping coin that's uh, they base it being the, the St. Andrew when apparently it's something else. As a side note, back in the day, that which is now called the St. Andrew used to be called the Ugandi. Okay. They dove that back in the 70s, and that's what it was called, because then I went up and dove it again with a different group, and they said, we're going to go dive the Andrews, and it's like, excuse me, but I've been on this wreck before, and it's this was not called that then. Mm-hmm. And in addition, in the 30 years that involved since one dive and the next, that dive, when we did it, as called the Ugandi, started at 55 feet and went down to 70. It was a wall and you would find all parts of the, and it was um, a steamer because it had spokestacks. And the last time I dove it, almost all of that was totally covered up. You went down the, the wall a little bit to maybe 60 feet, had parts and pieces, but the majority of it was still or is now under sand. Hmm. Okay. So you're saying the boat you dove back in the 70s was a steamer? Yeah, and it was called the Ugandi. And then the last okay. time we dove it, we, you know, through a charter, it's like, well, uh, this is not the same boat. <laughs> hmm? Like you said, names change. Hmm. And actually, I'm seeing... I'm seeing a Uganda listed in the western part of the Straits, but a different, but a different location. But yeah, it's hard to say. You know? Yeah. But you know, it, it's difficult. To, it's difficult to put a name on these things. Uh, you know, so many folks are holding out for a name board or a ship's log, which you're just not going to find on them. And you know, a lot of the name boards were just painted. Sometimes they were carved. <laughs> you know, you also do have a a registration number on them. You know, they were there was a uh, an actual serial number, you know, carved in the boat uh, somewhere around the uh, forward cargo hatch, and you know, often this cover with quad guys now, or you know, it just it just wore away. Um, so it's really really tough to put a name on these things, and you kind of have to go with a, an educated guess based upon what you get for a length and a and a beam and uh, reports of going down on that area, and. Sometimes they're right and sometimes they're not. So, 
And names do change because you've got the clay, the Barnum, and then you have the false clay. Because back in the day, and then we're still talking 35 years ago, they were just starting to identify some of the wrecks that you now know what they actually are. Mm-hmm. They got assigned names that have evolved through the years. Yeah. Well, yeah that's got, a whole research topic in itself. Yeah, I've got a little bit of information here on the Uganda, which is from, I think, a Wisconsin site. Yeah, this is from Yitka's page. Um, I talked to Yitka a while back, and she would love to be a guest on the show again in the near future, in the, sometime in the oh, future. Certainly. But, uh, yeah, here's an article on the Uganda that Mac is talking about. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's tough to put a, put names on these things sometimes. So, Well, it's about time for our joke. I think we're getting to that time of the show. If everybody's enjoying the show, we certainly appreciate your support. We just uh, paid a whole bucket full of money. Thank you to all our supporters, all our listeners, and uh, we are set for another year. And as of this episode, we have entered our 11th season. We completed 10 years, I think. I have to double check, but I'm pretty sure we've, this is season 11. So cool. very cool. Yeah. It's hard to believe something like that. Uh, we were just uh, disappointed because the scuba podcasts of the day weren't recording anymore. And so if you can't listen to something else, talk about it yourself. So <laughs> that's what we did. You can follow us on facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. Uh, we're on Twitter at Scoob Obsessed, and you can also support us through Patreon on our website, www.scoobobsessed.com. Click on over those Patreon links, and $3 or more gets you early access to the show notes. So, so yeah, I, I have a couple of jokes that I'm, I'm filtering through. So here is one. Uh, it, it's, it's a word of warning. A listener sent this in as advice to retiring scuba divers. Uh, he says it's important for men to remember that as women grow, older, it becomes harder for them to maintain the same quality of housekeeping as when they were younger. When this becomes apparent, try not to yell at them. They uh, are oversensitive and there's nothing worse than an oversensitive woman. Uh, my name is Ron. Let me reiterate how I handle the situation with my wife, Carol. When I retired a few years ago, it became necessary for Carol to get a full-time job along with her part-time job, both for the extra income and the health care benefits that we needed. Shortly after she started working, I know she's beginning to show her age. I usually get home from the golf course the same time uh, she gets home from work. And although she knows how hungry I am, it's almost always says that uh, she has the rest of half an hour before, before she starts dinner. I don't yell at her. Instead, I tell her to take her time and just wake me up when she gets dinner on the table. Generally, I have lunch at the Yacht Club, so eating out is not an option for us for that eating evening. I'm ready for some home-cooked food when I walk through the door. Uh, she used to do dishes as soon as we finished eating, but now it's not unusual for them to sit at a table for several hours after dinner. I can do what I can diplomatically, reminding her that several times the evening that they won't clean themselves. I know she really appreciates this, as it does seem the motivator to get them done before she goes to bed. Another symptom of aging is complaining, I think. For example, she will say it's difficult for her to find time to pay the monthly bills during her lunch hour. 
but chaps, take them for better or worse. I just smile and offer encouragement. I tell her to stretch it out over two or th- three days even. Uh, that way she won't have to rush so much. I also remind her that missing a lunch completely now or then would help her figure. I figure to think that tact is one of my strong points. When doing simple jobs, she seems to think she needs more rest periods. She has to take breaks today when she was only half finished mowing the lawn. I tried not to make a scene. I'm a fair man. I told her to fix herself a nice big cold glass of freshly squeezed orange juice and just relax for a while. As long as she's making one for herself, she might as well make one for me too. I know I probably look like a saint, but I'm that's the way I am when I support Carol. It's not saying that showing this much patience and consideration is easy. Many men would find it difficult, if not impossible. Nobody knows better than I do how frustrating women can get when they get older. <laughs> However, even if you use just a little more tact and less criticism with your aging wife, the results of reading this article, I will consider that writing well worthwhile. After all, we're all putting this earth to help each other. Um, and that's the post. And I, I tried to get back with Ron. I, you know, I had messaged him and nothing happened. And I looked in the paper and I found out that Ron had suddenly died from a perforated rectum after the publishing of the letter. Uh, a little bit more investigation said that the, the police report, he was found with a 40 cubic foot pony bottle with just two inches visible uh, and a sledgehammer nearby. Uh, right. his, his wife, Carol, was arrested and charged with murder. The all-woman jury took only nine minutes to find him not guilty, accepting the defense that Ron, somehow without looking, accidentally sat down on his dive tank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Karen Mann is typing a response. This is going to be good. <laughs> yep. Yep. Hold on, guys. She's going to have some nurse's witticism and something totally biologically, politically incorrect, I'm sure. Come on, Karen. What do you you got? (laughs) Sounds like some ER patients I've had, except theirs was self-inflicted. Self-inflicted? Oh, my God. Think about that. They could have easily removed the tank, you know. All they had to do would do some that laparoscopic surgery and open up the tank valve, and it would come out on its own to 3,000 PSI. Better duck, you know. Yeah. Well, on that note, go out there and get wet. And don't forget, guys, stay safe and don't piss off the wife. <laughs> I'll second that. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night.